The same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. In other words, Timothy is telling them to, or Paul is telling Timothy that the things that he has shared, then they need to share with others. And then he lets him know something which all ought to realize. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet he is not crowned except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partakers of the fruit. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to shew thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, something the world needs more than anything else. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase into more ungodliness. Their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, overthrown the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. Let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, why don't we just read all of it? You're being so good there. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lust, follow righteousness, faith, charity, or love, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart, but foolish unlearned questions, and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strife. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God preadventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him and his will. You may be seated. After all of that, I would like to call your attention especially to the 15th verse. There's so much of that in there, and we don't intend to weary you tonight. It's weather's supposed to get bad 
and we appreciate the fact that you have braved the the odds, so to speak, of the weather and out to the house of God. There's so many things that we could pick from there that one thing when I opened my Bible just a while ago that I could not get away from, that was simply study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I thought of all the words that is written, I don't think there's any any more powerful than those words and any more or less attentive to than those words. Too often we rely upon a revelation, especially if we're a Holy Ghost filled and we know that God does reveal things unto us. We know that His Spirit is inside of us. If we're not careful, we'll be just waiting for God to whisper something real nice to us. That doesn't do away with the agenda that God has placed before us when He simply says, Study to show thyself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Evidently, he left some conditions there. Truth is truth, but it must be divided in the right way or else it becomes false. So he's leaving us with a challenge, and after we're challenged by the gospel, after we have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, and after we have been honest in our convictions and baptized according to the word of God, and put on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and have received the power of the Holy Ghost in our lives, then we're asked a question, and the world asks us that question, what then? I have been approached by many of fresh-born individuals that simply have had the power of God in their life and the freshness, like dew drops from heaven, fall upon their thirsty soul, and they have knowing that they have been born again. There's no doubt about that. But they're confused as to what's left, what's next. Any place else for us to go? Well, there's several things that we could deal with tonight, but maybe I could cut it down to three or four. The first thing you need to do as a Christian, whether you're an old Christian, whether you've been in, quote, the way for 30 years or 50 years, or whether you've just begun, the first thing that the Bible indicates that we should do is to know something. Is to know something. There's not any more sickening thing in the nostrils of God than a Christian that doesn't know anything about Him. A Christian that has accepted the faith and the Word of God and has simply been obedient to that but yet cannot explain to you why they did. Cannot explain to you what happened in their life cannot explain to you about God in His infinite wisdom and His mercy and can't tell you anything about the steps you ought to take in the times of your misery, in the times of your despondency, in the times of your sickness, and in the times of your discouragement. How often have I heard it, Brother Hoskall, when I asked a question, all they say is, that's just the way it is. That's just the way it happens to be. And so first thing, number one, is know something. To do any kind of a job. And we have various individuals here, men and women, and our jobs are, are uh, different 
But to do any kind of a job, certain basic knowledge is needed. And to think that a Christian can battle the evils of this world and answer the simple questions that come from the mouth of babes and the mouth of people in this world with an empty head is foolish. It is the height of folly for an electrician not to know electricity. For him to go in some place and say, I am an electrician, and yet not know a single thing about electricity. It is foolish for a pianist to say that they're a pianist and know nothing about music. It is foolish for a lawyer to say he is a lawyer and not know one single thing about the law. It is foolish for a mechanic to take out tools that he knows nothing about and begin to try to repair machinery that he knows nothing about. It's foolish for a soldier to be called a soldier if he don't know his weapons. If any of us have been in the army or navy or whatever, the first thing we do is become acquainted with that which might save our life. We become acquainted with that. We know it inside and outside. We know what must be done with it. We must know what must be done to it. Keep it tuned well, oiled and greased or whatever so that we ourselves can live and maybe someone else die. A soldier has to know his weapons. And you go on and on. A contractor has to know what he's doing. An engineer has to know where he's at. On and on we can go. Any number of you here that work at a job, you have to know your job. You have to know what that job entails. And friend, when we try to separate Christianity from that, and when we tell the world that we are a Christian, we can't give them one single solitary reason, in a sense, and make it sound sensible to them as to why they should be, then something is amiss. And we need to get into God's Word, and as Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, you've got a job to do, that there's going to be a lot of questions asked of you, and I want you to study, your, to show yourself approved, a workman that don't need to be ashamed. Anything that comes your way, if you can't answer it right then, tell them you'll find out what the answer is. And you either go to God, you go to God's Word, or you find out exactly what's happened. A professor wrote one time that we have too many mass-produced religionists. We're producing religionists. We're not producing saints. Church is producing people that embrace a religion. And don't look at me so funny as if to say the Catholics or the Baptists or the Methodists are the only one that's doing that because it has invaded the rank and file of Pentecostals where we are producing individuals that simply know this is their religion. That's all they know. All they know about is mom and dad or some preacher told them how they had to be saved and that's all they know about it. They don't know the hows, the wherefores, the whats, or the maybes, or anything else. And he said, we have created too many mass-produced religionists 
Just like an assembly line. I've been to churches where you just run them through like an assembly line. Here they come right there, not a tear in their eye, not one uh, shed tear of repentance, not one one thing in their heart to, to intimate that they've ever changed their mind. Come there, sign their name on a book, preacher lays a hand on their head, they leave and go out to church. Mass-produced individuals that know nothing about salvation that know nothing about the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that know nothing about what it does, know nothing about Jesus' name, baptism, and what it actually is, and the power of the Holy Ghost in their life, that not only makes them shout, that not only makes them speak in tongues, that not only makes them emotional sometimes, but that which grips the very core of their soul in the most hours of dryness. Where there is no water from man, they need water from the rock. Where there is no food from man, they need manna from heaven. Where there is no satisfaction in this world, they need the peace of God. And where there is nothing or no one that can do anything about the sickness of their body, they need the great physician, which is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And we need not only to tell them about that, we need for them to realize that in us, we need to get the reputation. Let's say that again. We need to get the reputation that we can produce the goods. How many of you want to go to a doctor that's never caused anybody to get any better? How many ever want anybody to build you a house that all of them has fallen down within a year or so? All right? How many of you have ever wanted that? You don't. And what we need more than anything else, I'm talking about us here tonight, we need a reputation that we have a personal, intimate relationship with the Master. And we not only heard about Him back then, and we'll not only see Him in the future, but we know about Him now. Apostle Paul said, For I know whom I have believed. I don't know about him. I haven't just heard about him. I've become personally acquainted with him. And I think when that intimate relationship comes, there's going to be a change inside. You see, we're waiting for God to change us. And all God does is put the Word on us, and He wants that to change us. Amen. We're waiting for a miracle. And when all the time the miracle has already happened, we have God's Word. That's a miracle in itself. And it's been preserved as it is. And we can hold it in our hands. And we can hear God speak that's been dead, or Jesus that's been dead for centuries. But he said we don't have enough individually created believers. Individually created believers. You see, the Apostle Paul, in all his writings, was always aware that there must be a one-on-one -on -one thing, man with God. Man with God. God with man. It had to be on a one-on-one -on -one relationship. It couldn't just be a church relationship. It had to be a one-on-one -on -one relationship. And have you ever stopped to think what a miracle it is for you and I in prayer, knowing that we have God's attention. And it seems as if His whole attention span is on us. 
It seems to us as if he hears nobody else but us. And yet in reality, we know that there is millions of prayers receiving the same personal attention as ours is. And it staggers my imagination. I don't understand it, but I know it happens. It's just as if he was sitting down with me and oblivious to anything else or anybody else in this world. It was just me and God, and he means for us to feel that way. And when we really discover him, that's the way we're going to feel. We're going to get down in an altar of prayer, and we're going to be an individually created believer. We got, he goes on to say we've got too many machine-made churchmen and not enough handmade Christians. Machine-made churchmen. Again, mass production. Oh, it's taken over the world wherever you go. Mass production. And the church is no different. Mass production of saints. You turn out little saints and big saints and all types of saints, so to speak, or so they say. And there they are. And have never felt the touch of the living God in their life. Have not been handmade by that preciousness of Jesus Christ. Have never had the personal attention of Him to make us feel like we're something. And He also said, "If you shun, you need to shun idleness, because He said it's the rust that tarnishes and attaches itself to the most brilliant metal." Rust can invade almost any metal. And then he said this, and I like it, and I wrote it down. Mental exercise for some people is jumping to conclusions. That's about all the mental exercise some of us get. It's jumping to conclusions. And no wonder Paul told Timothy, you got to study, boy. You've got to get into that word. You've got to find the meaning of it. And somebody said, oh, I don't understand the Bible. Get in there anyway. Because someplace, sometime, God will either, either zap you with it or He'll place you someplace where what you've been studying about will be exposed. Somebody will touch that Scripture that's been troubling you. But if we don't know what's in that Bible... <laughs> If we're not interested in what it has to say enough to pick up the Word of God. Have you ever noticed, and I have, because God, <laughs> that's a good word, zapped. God zapped me with that. Did you ever notice how we can while and dawdle away 30 minutes to an hour a day, and I'm being conservative on that, over a coffee cup and still have the audacity to say we didn't have time to pray? Well, that's a scheme of the devil, isn't it? We didn't have time to pick up God's Word. I'll tell you, I've just been so busy. And Satan has took my time, and we know he does, and yet we let him do it. And all the time, God is screaming out, if you're going to be a Christian, you've got to know how to be a Christian. And you're not going to know how to be a Christian until you learn how to handle the sword. 
You've got to be acquainted with the sword. If you're going to thrust the enemy with it, you've got to know how to use it. And you've got to know it is usable. It's in your hands. It's a weapon. But if we're not careful, we'll pick up the wrong end of it and get cut. And most of us do. Because we don't know the the point of it and we don't know the, the cutting edge of it from the hilt of it. That might sound a little bit stupid, but that is the way it is. And we have to know something. And number two, we have to be something. Not just know something. We've got to apply what we know to us. All the knowledge that God will give you. All the things He can reveal to you and everything that ever a minister that has preached in this church and that I am preaching tonight that settles down deep inside. All the knowledge will not make you effective until you realize you are something. Pentecost has been thrown on the wrong side of the tracks. We've been laughed at, we've been mocked at, and sometimes we hang our head in shame and sometimes won't even tell people who we actually are. When all the time God says you are lively stones, you're not dead, you're lively stones. He said you're the salt of the earth, the preserving force in this world. You are the light of the world. You are the sons of the living God. He wants us to be something. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I was raised back when Pentecost was the scourge. Well, I realize our forefathers did a lot of things probably that wasn't necessary, but they didn't do it uh, because they just felt like that. They did it because they were honest in and thought this was what was necessary. They did it out of truth and love of God in their heart. But I was raised in and I went to school then. When if you said you was Pentecost, you was immediately a holy roller. And you made it, you was ostracized. And it took this old boy a long time. A long time. I underwent that. I bowed my head in shame. I wish Dad would have been anything else. I wish he hadn't even been a preacher. For God's sake, every place I go, they knew Martin Hoskaw. Every school, that's that tongue-talking, holy roller preacher that gets beside himself. And got that strange doctrine. And yet they could never say anything that would touch that man's life. He lived what he believed. He didn't ask anybody to do anything he wouldn't do himself. And one time as just a child, not very old, I finally come to realize that my dad was something. He didn't just say he was something, he was something. I saw him in a new light. I looked in his eyes and I watched him as he stood in perspiration and windows thrown open and he probably eat more bugs than the average individual. Bed bugs running every place. Toad frogs in a basement in a cellar where he was ministering. But something weighed down deep inside had got a hold of this man. And he was something. He didn't just say he was. He was something. 
It wasn't long until I looked at him in a new light. This was God's man. This was God's man. And God, if I'm ever going to be anything in this life, let me at least be as honest in everything I am and everything I do as he is. Well, I know a lot of reason to be ashamed, I suppose. A lot of things happened that shouldn't have happened. But they were something. God meant something to them. And we need to realize that. We need to be something. A thermometer, that's what most of us are. We just simply register the atmosphere around us. But a thermostat controls the atmosphere around us. And that's what God is asking out of us. If we don't like the conditions in our life and the surrounding life, become a thermostat and change those things. You're a light. You're the salt of the earth. You're the controlling, preserving influence in society. In fact, the only things some people know about the Bible or ever know about God is the life you live in front of them because you are something. And God help us to be something. Sunday school teachers should know how to be Sunday school teachers. Deacons and elders should know how to be deacons and elders. Preachers ought to know how to be preachers. Saints ought to know how to be saints. Just well say amen. And the only way we're going to know that is a personal acquaintance with Jesus Christ who has changed our life and acquaintance with this that God has placed in our hand. It becomes a sword, not only to use against the enemy, but to pair us from the things and the growth that is on us that is not needed in our life. The Word of God is sharp as a two-edged sword piercing us under. Sometimes it might be good to turn it on ourselves. In fact, I think that's probably the best thing I know to do is let the light of God's glorious gospel shine upon our own life and let us see us for who we really are and let God reveal unto us our weaknesses and our mistakes and as He reveals them to us, mark it down and commit to God that it is possible at all with you, God. I, I commit that I'll never, never be found in that weakness again. You see, God doesn't despair with us so much if we're caught in a different weakness and that's revealed unto us. What despairs God is the same old weakness exploited in our lives day in and day out and, and never, never any reconciling that. I mean, it's just the same old thing. We just go to God like He's a Santa Claus, ask Him to touch us when we get into trouble, and when He does, we know we're going to do the same old thing over and over and over again. And this despairs God. This touches the heart of God. He knows we're not perfect, and He knows that a minute that we overcome one weakness, then He's going to reveal to us another one. 
And He doesn't hold us, hold it against us when we're caught in a new weakness that we haven't been aware of. And He's let us go for years getting by with. And then finally, He calls our attention to that. And He says, that's enough. You're supposed to be too old for that. You're too grown up to be playing with little log cabins and trucks. And now I want you to grow up. And you look in astonishment. I have. I looked in astonishment in that because it had never occurred to me that that wasn't like it ought to be. It had just become a part of my life. And God being a just good God wasn't going to overwhelm me with everything because He knows that if He reveals you every shortcoming and every little sin in our life, it's going to overwhelm us so much that we'll just sit out and say, I can't make it. So little by little by little, God reveals to us what He expects out of us. And little by little, as we grow, God takes one little toy away from us. And when He takes one away from us, He gives us another one a little bit more growing up. <laughs> Amen. He takes our tricycle and we're too big for it anyway. Our big old knees are sticking out this way and we're still trying to ride it. And He says, give me that thing. And you wouldn't give it to him unless he said, there's a bicycle over there that you can ride. Because that's a sign that you've grown up. And then he takes that away from you and finally you've, you've uh, got you an automobile. But there again, <laughs> you've got to learn how to drive an automobile. <laughs> hey man, you don't just say, I'm a driver. You've got to know your car. You've got to know how to drive it. If you don't, you're going to get into a lot of problems. <laughs> hey man, you're going to get into a whole lot of problems. And yet, time after time, He reveals things to us that we've been doing that hasn't been up to snuff with Him. He hasn't liked them, but He hasn't allowed them. Of course, we're in a growing process. When we get a certain age, you're just not supposed to play with little toys. You get a certain time, there's responsibility comes crashing down upon your shoulders all at once. I thought my teenage years would never pass and those were the worst years in my life. And I looked back over and I thought, my God, why didn't I enjoy what I had? I could have given my strength and my young life to God and wouldn't have had to waste it all of those years wasted for God. Aren't you glad He's so merciful that He just takes those wasted years and says, well, we're going to forget about them. And He just washes us. Hallelujah. Puts them in the sea of forgetfulness. And He don't know anything about them. You do. He don't know one thing about them. Now this might astonish you, but I've got Bible for it. But from the time you become a Christian, even though He forgives you, he still remembers what you did after you become a Christian. What do you think is going to meet you at the judgment bar of God? Failures? Little sins? And all of this. And about all we as God's people can hope for is that our life would be lived as such a shining example that when we stand before the judgment bar of God, that those things, God's light will shine there so much that He can't even see what's on the book. 
Last but not least, after we know something and after we recognize we are something, then we start doing something. There comes a time in our life when we just don't with life. And all at once, fun and games had to be relegated to second place. Responsibility become first, and I had to do something. The Bible tells us after we become a Christian, after we have known God, that we are to be witnesses unto Him. Now, friend, that's work, whether you believe it or not. That's work. And that's why we, God terms so many of us lazy Christians. Because in this day and age that we live, it's work to witness about God at every given opportunity. We would rather talk about anything else in this world, and people would rather hear about anything else in this world than Jesus. And for the most part, I've been there, Till I learned different. When I worked out in this world, I worked in the oil field. It's the most ungodly place there is. I worked in that. I worked at a mental retardation center where there was just all types of demonic forces going on. And I would get in situations where I would have to listen to their ungodly conversations. They had to tell me just what a party they had and how drunk they got, how miserable they were, how they didn't even get out of the car until they threw up. I thought, boy, I mean, that's real fun. <laughs> of course, I knew all about that. You see, I had fun too. I mean, I had a lifetime of fun like that. I couldn't help it. I got caught in that thing. <laughs> but God delivered me. And I'd sit there and I'd listen to that stuff. And it'd sicken me. And they'd leave. And I finally realized if I'm yet to sit and listen to them, then I need at least five minutes to tell them about what good time I had and what a good church service we had. Why, it was so good the preacher didn't even get to preach. Those are good services, aren't they? <laughs> and they thought I was crazy. But then they got to watching my life. They got to seeing something in there. They got to seeing me come out without a hangover. <laughs> I got to tell them I wasn't drunk as you suppose, seeing it's the third hour of the day. But this is that that was spoken of by the prophet Joel. <laughs> Hallelujah, I received the power of the Holy Ghost. It's real in my life. It's never died. It's still alive. It still lives. And you need it and you can have it. We need to do something. A farmer might know all there is to know about his farm. He might be the model of good behavior. I mean, he might be a paragon of virtue. But he'll never raise a crop until he does something. Brother Denzel can know all there is about building houses. Know the ins and outs of everything that it takes. But if he doesn't do anything, he'll never build a house. 
Brother Donnie can be in charge of the school out there and do whatever he does or, or take, fill that position, but if he doesn't do anything, he won't stay there long. And in closing, I would like to ask us this. What makes us think that when we are born into the kingdom of God and given the responsibility of a Christian, that we can do any less than to know all there is to know about God and to be the, all there is to be in God and to do everything that is available for us to do. Some of us have different jobs. All of you can't stand up here and loud mouth around like I do. You're the better for that. Amen. You've got the better job. I think everybody ought to have to stand behind this pulpit at least one time. And they'd change their mind about what it's like to be here, wouldn't they, Brother Donnie? Sister Wilmer, they'd all change their mind about what a wonderful privilege it is to be a preacher. Well, it is a privilege. It is an honor. I don't take backwater on that. There have been times when I thought, oh, God, it's time to preach again. <laughs> Amen. I know some of you said, oh, church time again. And I've said the same thing. You've said, I've got to go listen to that preacher. I've heard him for two straight years. I know just exactly where he's going and what he's going to say. And I've still got to go. Don't that make you feel bad? But you don't know the times. And I've said, God, for two straight years, I've filled that pulpit and looked at the same old faces. And i got to go preach to them again the same old thing. God help me. And that's, that's not just here. But that's one of my commitments. That's what I've asked God. Show me, Lord. Show me how. And he said that's got to be a change from inside. That's got to be through prayer life and continually seeking. I thought, God, show me how I can become enthused about preaching Your Word if half the congregation goes to sleep and the other half don't come. Teach me how to be enthused enough about You and Your Word to fulfill my obligations to You. And let me be happy about it. Not that I've made any great mark on society, but because I did what you told me to do, the way you told me to do it, God, I have to salvage my own soul. And let me do it with joy. I realize it won't be easy. i got to come and look at you. I tell you what, maybe I could do like some of you. Maybe I could miss a few nights and it wouldn't get so tedious. <laughs> kind of rest your ears a little bit in your heart, a little bit, and you can come back and stand him for at least another two or three times straight. <laughs> I don't want to be like that. I'm going to look you right square in your dimple face. Right square in your eye. I want to tell you that Jesus loves you. I want to tell you that Jesus died for you. I want to tell you that I love you. I want to tell you that as long as I've got two feet and two hands, 
and a voice that God continues to give me. I'm going to preach you the word of God instant in season and out of season. If I have to give the whole load of hay to Brother Brown, I'm going to give it to him. He always, he, 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 tried, he gets about halfway happy when not too many people come because he said, you're not going to give us a whole load of hay, are you? I said, as long as God supplies the hay, you get it. <laughs> you don't mean it. I don't think. But we've been programmed in closing. I didn't mean to ramble on like this. But we've been programmed. I wrote an article on that. That big things is the only thing that's getting anything done. We've been programmed to that. Big churches, big things we got gotta gotta be in the headlines all the time. But if God had despised little things, he wouldn't have hid those giant oaks and those little acres. And he's hid the greatest thing that's gonna break out in this world. When he said, Fear not, little flock, it is my father's pleasure to give you the kingdom of God. One of these days from that little acorn there's going to be a mighty oak stand out against everything that the world has proclaimed and false ideologies and religion and it's going to stand. The powers of hell cannot shake it. powers of hell cannot destroy it. God has always had a church. God always will have a church and we just as well be part of that church. There's always something some of us can do. In the church we were pastoring, a little lady crippled with arthritis, and we told you about her, how she would come and take those little gnarled hands and tremble and get up on the edge of that seat and pull herself up and stand and when pain was racking her body and testify about how good God was to her. Was at the house of God every time the doors were open. Anyway, he was so concerned about the fact that she couldn't get out, she couldn't seem to do anything for the Lord at all. She said, God woke me up one night, told me what I could do. That he told me to get down my telephone book and begin to write the names and addresses of those individuals and write a little note or something that says, I love you. You may not know who I am, but I love you and I'm concerned about you. And put a little track in there about Jesus and mail it to these individuals. She said that was almost a year's work. And when she got through with the little Rosie Claire telephone book, she went to Harrisburg's. And on and on she went. She could do something. She could do something. There was something she could do. Woman with an unfriendly neighbor. Nothing was right about that neighbor. They couldn't get along. She hadn't saw the neighbor out for quite a bit. She went and knocked on the lady's door and 
She hollered out and said the door's unlocked. She walked in. The lady was sick in bed. This neighbor saw who it was, and she said, Get out of my house. I don't want anything to do with you whatsoever. The lady said, It was in my heart to say I'll gladly get out of here because I don't want anything to do with you either. She said something inside of her moved her another direction. That lady was sick. Nobody there to care for her or anything else. She said, I went home, cooked up some stuff, some chicken broth, took it over there to her, set it down by her bed, and said, you just as well eat this. I'm going to stay right here until you do. I don't care what you say to me how much you demean me, you need somebody, and I'm going to be that somebody. And she stayed there and she cleaned up her house and took care of that lady. For a day or two, all she did was curse and abuse her. And finally, her perseverance paid off. She was something. She did, didn't talk about being something and talk about something. This lady became a living example of what the Lord Jesus Christ was all about. Amen. She won that individual to God. She would have never touched her life any other way. So we have to know something. We have to be something. Then we have to do something. Would you stand? Just gather with me at the altar right here. I took longer than I meant to take because I really hadn't studied on this at all, but God, thank God was in it, and I think we need to be challenged by it. And I want us to come here. I want us to just stand and I want us to ask God to let us be what we're supposed to be. That God would speak to our lives. And ask Him to reveal to us what is needed in our life. And then ask Him to help us with what He's already revealed to us. Amen.